Welcome to episode 12 of the Help Side Basketball Coaching and Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, John Jansen, and it has been a while since I've had a chance to podcast and put some content out here for you guys. Um, the holiday season was, of course, very busy, and I just didn't have time. So we're back in it. Uh, we have a lot to talk about, a lot to catch up on. Some things I want to talk about that happened in the NBA are not necessarily super current at the moment because it's been so long, but I wanted to touch on them anyway because I don't think things have changed too much since um, what I kind of saw and what I thought happened over the last couple weeks. So we're going to go over what's been going on in the NBA. In the analytics section, we're going to talk about thinking outside the box and designing your own plays. And in the strategy session, we're going to talk about subbing on free throws. So let's get right into it, and we'll start with the NBA. Uh, We're going to go back to Christmas Day, and I know that was just a week or two after the last podcast, and so it's been a while. Uh, But I wanted to talk about two of the games in particular, the first one being Boston versus Milwaukee in Boston, and just the absolute dominance of Milwaukee in that game in Boston on Christmas Day. And it's really interesting to think about it from from two perspectives. Number one, Milwaukee has been accumulating assets of long athletic players for a few years now. And those players have started to mature and become forces. Obviously, Giannis is one of the best players in the NBA. But they got a bunch of guys who are long and athletic and can shoot the ball. And it makes it really hard for other teams to score on them with all of their length on the inside. And then you get rid of bad coaching and you sub in with good coaching. And all of a sudden you have a team who is a major threat in the East. And the two teams that have seems like taken the biggest jumps forward this year are the two teams who got rid of their coaches, which are Milwaukee and Toronto. And I know I've mentioned it before, but when you see Boston, you see a team that has always been, you know, the blue collar, hard work team and who has maximized everything they've gotten. And the problem is that each year they've maximized their potential, but they there's just been a team like LeBron who's been better than them. And now it looks like Milwaukee might just be better than them. And going back to Christmas Day, Milwaukee absolutely dominated them. And I don't think Milwaukee shot amazing. I don't think Boston shot terrible. I thought it was one team was just better than the other team. And Boston made a little bit of a run where they did make shots and cut that huge lead down to, I think it got it down to three or five or something like that. And then Milwaukee ran it right back up to 20 again, and they just looked like the better team. And based on that game, where I don't see how Boston's going to be way better and I don't see how Milwaukee's going to be way worse, I just think that Milwaukee is a better team. And unless there's some you know, big injury, I think I would take Milwaukee if they played each other. And that's definitely a change from where I thought this was the year for Boston where they kind of had the best chance to get to the finals. And then later in the day, we had the Lakers play against Golden State, and 
the Lakers dominated Golden State. And it's always interesting with Golden State to talk about them when they don't look great because at the end of the day, they're still the best team. They still have the most talent. Will they win the NBA championship this year? If you said pick a team, I would pick them. If you said I can have them or the field, I think for the first time in a couple of years, I think I would take the field. And I don't know what the problem is. I know that Draymond is in a contract year, and I think he's feeling the pressure. I think he wants to stay, but I think he wants to get paid also. And he has to show his value to the Warriors that he should be paid and be paid there. And I think he's feeling the pressure and he's shooting a terrible percentage and he's losing money. And I think that kind of compounds itself. And then you have end of game situations where I think a guy like him wants to show his value and wants to make a play. And a guy who should have the ball in his hand, like Durant or Curry, and mostly it's been Durant, hasn't been getting the ball and he gets mad at him because Durant's the best player on that team. And at the end of the game, Durant has earned getting the ball in his hands. And when, when he doesn't get it, then we have a problem. And I'm not as much worried about them losing some of these games as I just am worried about not seeing the desire. And and who knows? They could turn it on tomorrow and they haven't even gotten Boogie back and he should be back in a couple days. And you know it could be a totally different scenario as soon as he gets back. But at this point, only against the field – would I would I not take Golden State? If you're saying Golden State versus any single team or any couple teams, I would probably take Golden State. But against the field, I just think there's a lot of things that could go wrong for them, and they don't seem like they're as laser-focused. And I've said for years now that they have, have been so talented that their laziness, their carelessness with the ball. I mean, we all remember a couple years ago when Steph Curry threw a behind-the-back pass with you know four minutes to go in Game 7 of the NBA Finals and threw it out of bounds. And it's, and it's just a, that lack of discipline because it's been so easy for them that they've never had to you know, be disciplined and play the right way. They've always just been so much better and they've just gotten away with it. And if these teams who have now seemed to close the gap on them can have a great series and have this desire to beat them – then I think that that could be it. And then it's anybody's guess who who that team would be. I think the best candidates would be Houston, Milwaukee, and even I, I don't think – I know I just said I don't think Boston get there, but if Boston somehow gets a path where, it, where maybe Toronto beats Milwaukee and they somehow beat Toronto, then I think Boston has a great chance against them too because I think they match up well and I think that Brad Stevens will outcoach Steve Kerr. And – People don't understand, and non-basketball coaching people may not understand about being out coached because you see the change in Golden State since Steve Kerr got there, and it's massive. But those aren't in-game adjustments; those aren't maximizing like each possession and and all that. It's it's more like just freeing them up and putting a system in place, which is a great system, and not anyone could just do that, but putting a system in place where they can just play freely. But on a possession-by-possession basis, I don't think anyone put him even in the top five coaches in the NBA right now. So I think he could get out-coached. And, you know, who knows? One injury to another team, and it's 
and and Golden State might walk into the final. I mean, it's 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 totally up for grabs. But I actually think this is the year that they could be vulnerable. The next thing I want to talk about is LeBron getting hurt, and uh, it scares me a lot because this is how great ones usually start to lose their greatness. It happened with Kobe with the Achilles. It's that one big injury, and then they come back, and they're not quite as good as they were, or they get hurt again, and then it just slowly starts that decline, that that linear decline that you see, and they're never the same again. And so I'm hoping what LeBron's doing by taking a bunch of games off is making sure he's 100% and not coming back too quickly where this thing will nag him all year, because that's the easiest way, and then you know, then you can't work out as hard and you can't get your body in the best shape because, you know, you're you're putting other parts of your body at risk by pushing so hard. So I, I, I think that what he's doing and I hope what he's doing is just making sure he's 100% and that groin thing is completely gone. Now, while he was out, he did that thing on Showtime where he talked about being the greatest of all time. And man, oh man, do I hate it. Because... I've said this before, and I'll probably say it forever. You cannot change anyone's opinion. And I talk to my Jordan friends. I talk to my Kobe friends. I talk to, you know, even the Chamberlain friends. And no one is going to change their opinion because these guys either played different positions or played in different eras and so on and so forth. And you just can't change someone's opinion. I could give clear-cut evidence for any one of those guys and and I could sh- say it as perfectly as possible. And in the history of arguing, has anyone ever gone, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm wrong. I'll, I'll, I'm on your side. Never, never, ever, ever. And so when LeBron says this, all it's going to do is piss off the Michael Jordan people. And they're, of course, going to go and say, well, Michael Jordan didn't say that. Well, he did say it a bunch of times. And there was there's YouTube videos showing him saying it. But I think what he wanted to do was – Make people understand how crazy that win in Golden State against Golden State was. So Jordan won with Hall of Famers all around him, and LeBron didn't. Is Kyrie a Hall of Famer? Not right now. Will he be in the Hall of Fame one day? Maybe. But other than that, their team is really, really below average. And you see what happens. I know Kyrie's gone also, but they're a horrible team this year. And the Lakers, who were one of the worst teams in the West last year, is now like all of a sudden a top five, top four, top three contender in the West. And he, I, like Le- when LeBron says things, he always has a reason behind it. He doesn't just run his mouth for no reason. And I think what he wanted to do is put that in people's head of just how hard it was to win that one ring. And part of it is because he's lost in the finals a bunch of times. But again, there's nothing he could do about it. And part of it is I don't think people really understand how impossible coming back from 3-1 down, how impossible winning with that roster against that Golden State roster is. I mean, it's crazy. And he did it basically by himself. And I know Kyrie hit the big shot, and that's awesome, and that's amazing, and Kyrie was really good in that series. But you're talking about two against four. And I'd say the role players, even 
I'd say role players five through nine on Golden State are better than role players in some games three through six or three through seven. Some games Kevin Love, okay, gets his twenty and and ten or whatever, twenty and twelve, but he's not a force to be reckoned with. He stands on the three point line and knocks down shots and he and he grabs every uncontested rebound I've ever seen. I mean I love watching Kevin Love on the free throw line, on the defensive free throw line, I mean, he just attacks those when no one on offense is going after the ball. Anytime he can pick up a free stat, Kevin Love will pick up a free stat. And Kobe used to do that too. Kobe was notorious, and most people don't realize this because it's just something that I think about the way my brain works. The Lakers are up or down 20 points when they were bad, and there's two minutes to go in the game. The other team stopped trying. Most teams take out their starters and most teams, if their starters are in, let the scrubs get the shots, not Kobe. He went to the hoop every single time, everyone got out of the way, and he scored every single time. Why? Because in the history of basketball, no one's going to remember if the, if the points came in garbage time or not. So all these stats you pick up, don't really they, they don't matter for that game, but they matter for your overall statistics, for your career statistics, all that stuff. And Kobe is a person who is very attuned to his overall statistics. So he was a guy who loved picking up those. Kevin Love is a guy who loves picking up those extra little crap statistics that that are always just going to help you and make you look like a better player. But anyway, back to LeBron. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I wish he hadn't done it, but I understand why he did it. And the backlash, it's just in this era when there's so much social media and there's so much media attention, it's Anything you say gets magnitude gets magnetized a hundred times, and when LeBron says that, all it does it just wakes up the Jordan people, and they just go crazy on him. And I and I and I believe my uh, LeBron's the best player of all time, but telling people you are is just not the right is not the right way to do it. If I wish he had just said, I don't think people understand how hard winning that ring was, how hard beating that team was with the team we had. I think that would have been something that people would have been like, you know what, the guy's right. But instead, he crowns himself, and people don't like that. And so, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow over, but I know why he did it. I just don't like it. So let's move on to the analytics section, and I want to talk about um, thinking outside the box and designing your own plays and, and whatnot. And... This came up yesterday when Northern Kentucky ran this five-man out-of-bounds play where all five players stood on their own baseline out-of-bounds. One guy had the ball, and then they all took off sprinting and then kind of weaving and doing different things. Now, I think this could be done against any kind of a press. I think it would confuse the defense a little bit. But I also think that it was a great idea to do at an end-of-game situation when the other team's trying to foul. because So what they did was, for those who didn't see it, you can look it up on YouTube. It's only about a 10-second clip, and it was all over you know ESPN for the last 24 hours. So basically what they did is they put all five guys on the baseline. One guy had the ball, and when he hits the ball, all five guys take off. And at first, you don't know where everyone's going. A couple guys interweave. And then the way they set up is they they don't have the ball in the middle. They have the ball 
one to to the side. So on one side, there's three, then the ball, and then on one side, there's one. So the other team's defense, of course, trying to press, stood around the free throw line. And what these guys did is they all took off sprinting hard. And then the guy on the ball side, the one who was by himself, stopped and broke back, almost like a wide receiver running a route. And it's a great idea because a lot of NFL football routes are timing. And when you're just trying to get the ball in bounds, a timing play is a great idea. So they almost basically ran a football play. They did run a football play. And the guy breaks back at the exact second. The guy hits him with a timing play, and they get it in bounds. And what's awesome about that is now when that team is scouted, well, the next time they do it, a different guy breaks back or something like that. And what's also great about it is these guys are starting at the free throw line on defense and the other guys are sprinting at them full speed. It's like a DB in football, you know, trying to guard against like a guy going on a, on a, you know, a end zone route or a, a, a bomb or something like that. And DBs in the NFL get beat. DBs in college get beat all the time. So an untrained you know, this guy in, that's playing college basketball is not trained to play safety or DB. And these, I saw on the other side, these guys were beat. And if they had been trying to break a press or if they had been trying to get a quick bucket and the team had been pressing up, like let's say it was like a tie game or something, I think they could have thrown over the top possibly and got something. And because teams haven't seen this, they don't know how to guard against it. And that's what's awesome. And so... I want to segue that into designing your own plays and thinking outside the box and sitting and and scribbling all over pads of paper and trying to design something that no one's ever seen before. And you're not trying to reinvent basketball, but what you're doing is you're putting the, the other team and the other coach in a scenario where he hasn't seen it before. So what's why coaches, why players get good over time is experience. They've seen this happen. They've seen it over and over and over. They know how to react to it. They know what's going to happen next, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you throw out a play that they've never seen before and their players who are young men have never seen before, then there's a really good chance that that play the first few times is going to be very successful. So I'm constantly drawing up new plays and I have – you know, I have a whole thick notebook of plays that other coaches have run that I've loved, that I've seen on TV, that I've written down, and then stuff that I've just set and drawn up. And I'm constantly thinking of like, how can I do this or this differently? And I'll just draw stuff up. And if it, and then you know, in practice, maybe we'll try it, or I'll I'll talk to friends about it. And I'll say, hey, do you think this would work? And if they say yeah, then I'll just throw it in at practice and see how it looks. And there's so much scouting, there's so much video and film that it's really hard to surprise people. And even if you're running plays that haven't been seen before, you know, this season, some coaches, coaches I've coached with, they write down plays from last season and they have everything on file and they'll go over as much as they can with their teams. So if you can come up with something that they've never seen before, then it's, there's a really high chance that it's going to work. You know, and this is kind of embarrassing to say, but, you know, when I was coaching 10 years ago, there was like a morning or something that I was kind of half asleep, kind of half away. And I 
thought of this play and I ended up calling it dream because I wasn't really fully awake. And it was a play that I kind of had saw while I was asleep in my brain and I started just scribbling with it and I, and I turned it into a, an out of bounds play and it, and it worked and we used it in games. And then after I used it a few times and people had film on it, then I came up with dream two. And basically all that was, was a counter to dream. And it wasn't a play I dreamed up. Just, I just dreamed up the one, but it was, uh, it was a counter and you know if if a team hears my guys say dream and okay they've heard that play they've seen it on film their coach has seen it they've told them that's the play well now we're running dream two is that team really gonna think that you know how different it's gonna be no they're gonna they're gonna defend it as if they're defending dream and now we've got this counter where now we can maybe even get another bucket and there's things i've thought of you know like starting all five guys really high against a team who who is like plays in passing lanes or I've thought of running out of bounds plays from the from the from the start of your possession you know like we run a lot of set plays but but what about just running like an actual out of bounds play or how about this what if you're running your press break and you run an out of bounds play as your press break cuz really in, in most press breaks you know against a very aggressive press the idea is just to get the ball in bounds well if you're running an out of bounds play there's a really good chance you're going to be able to get the ball in bounds. And you could even have it where, you know, your out of bounds play goal is to score a layup. Well, how that's the same thing as, you know, crossing half court or something like that. And these are just things that I just kind of play with, you know, and that's what you guys need to be doing is just trying to think outside the box, trying to think a little different. And like I said, don't try to reinvent basketball, but if you can do something different, like these guys from Northern Kentucky did, I, I imagine within a couple weeks we'll be seeing it again from some other team because it's something that is innovative and different and teams haven't seen before, and it worked. So other teams are going to be like, all right, well, if we try this, I'm guessing our opponent here in wherever we're playing now hasn't had to guard against that, and their coach probably isn't spending time guarding the five-man out-of-bounds play because one team ran it on ESPN a couple weeks ago, so now it could be successful for this team and this team. So... Stuff like that, even stuff you see on TV, be writing that stuff down. No one is sitting there. The odds of someone else seeing that play the Clippers ran and that you thought was awesome and them writing it down and then teaching it to their team to play defense against when they have no clue that you watched the Clipper game. I mean, You know what I mean? So anything you can do that's different, that you see, that stuff should be worked in because it'll get you buckets, it'll get you small advantages in games that are going to be really close. So it's really going to be effective. So getting to the strategy session, I want to talk about subbing on free throws. And this is something that I used to hate when I coached against this team. And then I got a job with this team and we did it. And now as a head coach, I do it just about every time. And it is subbing on the second free throw. So... As you know, when the ball goes to uh, when the ball gets passed to the free throw shooter for the second free throw, that free throw shooter you know takes his dribble or whatever, and you can send someone to the scores table. A lot of times, people do it for the shooter, but you actually don't even have to do it for the shooter. You can just have it for anybody. And what will happen is when the free throw shooter makes a second shot 
the ref will stop the game and allow your substitute substitution to happen. So this has a couple of benefits. Number one, well, there's the first thing is when you do it after the guy has received the ball at the free throw line, then he's not going to be sitting there knowing there's someone coming in for him. Because if you put him there ahead of time, it has to be a sub for the shooter. And you can do that if you want, but a lot of times that kind of is on the mind of the free throw shooter in whatever way. Maybe he doesn't want to come out. Maybe he's thinking about making it so he can go out. Whatever the case may be, he knows that he's coming out at the next dead ball. And that might affect him in some way. And that's not good. So by sending the guy after the guy's received the ball, he doesn't really know what's going on. Maybe he could see it out of the corner of his eye if you're shooting on your own end. But in general, he should be focused. Then the second thing that it does is... It stops the other team from breaking out on a made bucket. So, you know, you've, you're committing three guys to this offensive rebound probably, one guy on each side and the free throw shooter. And so you're committing three guys. If that ball goes straight through the net and they're out and they're gone, well, they could get a numbers advantage going the other way. And a lot of teams put their fourth guy right there at the top of the key or a step behind it in case one of your guys tips it backwards. So... You're, you could be committing four guys forward or a long rebound, and all of a sudden this guy turns and outlets it, and they've got a two-on-one going the other way. So it stops that. And number three, it's basically like the ball going out of bounds. It lets you set your defense. And for teams that press, it's a great chance for you to set up your press. And yes, you can set it up when the ball goes through, but a lot of teams can just grab it and toss it in before your guys are all set. And let's say you're the free throw shooter is the guy guarding the ball. Well, after he makes it, he's still got to run up there. Let's say your free throw shooter is the guy that usually gets all the way back on your press. Or his man is, you know, off in the in the far corner. What it does is it lets you get your guys set and gets your gets your guys in the in the correct places. And I think it's an awesome thing and it really takes the pace away from a team that really wants to get out and go on a made bucket. And basketball has changed, obviously, in the last 10 to 15 years where guys are not only breaking on on misses, they're breaking on makes, too. And a lot of teams love breaking off those free throws because a lot of times teams are just turning and jogging back. So by subbing in, you can just you know eradicate all of those breaks and you can get your defense set. If you're a pressing team, you can set your press. And there's only one bad thing, and that's that you have to sub someone out. And so you say, well, it's 30 seconds into the game or it's a minute and a half into the game and you're not ready to sub somebody. All right, well, you don't have to do that. I mean, it's not like you have to do it. But once you're three or four minutes into the game, there's probably someone who can use a break. And, you know, that same coach, if a guy made an egregious mistake, something that he wanted to have a teaching moment with, he would take that guy out right then. And you know what? He would bring him over, he would talk to them, and he would send him right back to the scorer's table. And they were out for, you know, in theory, just a few seconds until the next dead ball. So it wasn't like he's punishing them for like three or four minutes or something like that. He just got them out. They they felt unhappy that they were pulled out, but they they listened to him, focused hopefully, because they were not on the floor trying to listen. And then he gets them right back in the game, and now you're subbing somebody else out. And it keeps guys fresh, and yes, you can argue that maybe if you have a good run going that it could screw that up. Well, then don't sub on those. 
I mean, it's not like something you have to do, but I just think it's a really good way to set up your defense or set up your press and stop the other team from breaking. So hopefully you guys won't be doing that to my teams, uh, but if it's something that you try and you like, then then that's awesome and you've gotten some some value from this. So that's it for today. Uh, hope everything's going well. Hope you guys' seasons are going well. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, you can. Instagram, you can. If you have something you'd like to talk about, please send me some suggestions. Um, I would love to hear them and talk about them in future podcasts. And the website is even closer to being finished, as in there is a front page that exists. And it's really funny because there's a t-shirt that's sold that's selling for 10,000 pounds. And, uh, so there is no t-shirts that I have for sale, but there's one you can buy on there for 10,000 pounds. And, uh, so get those orders in, I guess. And, uh, anyway, um, thanks for listening and we will see you next time. <laughs>